Hey guys, welcome to There Are No Instructions, where I talk about work, being a mom, and life, and how there are absolutely no guides whatsoever to navigate the everyday. I talk about the opinions I've had before having a baby and how they've changed since. I am your host, Karina, and today we are going to be talking about social media and how it might be ruining my life, my husband's life, and my daughter's. I remember um, back when Vine was a thing, like what was that, two years ago or something? I would wake up in the morning and that was the very first thing I would look at. I would wake up, roll over, grab my phone, and check Vine. And honestly, that comes off as kind of like an addiction. Like you're addicted to an app or addicted to some sort of social media. Um, and before Vine, I would wake up, roll over and check Facebook. Um, I mean, that's the level of attachment I personally have to social media outlets and what I wanted to check, what were my friends up to, what notifications would I wake up to. Um, and that is kind of terrifying, you know, to think that the very first thing I want to do is not only just check my phone, but check social media. I have read articles and studies that say people check their phone on average once every four minutes. And that's just checking your phone. When it comes to spending time on social media, there have been studies that show that teenagers spend on average six hours a day on social media. And that's that's just, that's crazy to me. Growing up, we didn't have cell phones. Um, by like middle school, I probably had my first cell phone. It was just like this big Nokia, you know, brick. And there was no social media. Um, I mean, by high school, there was the AOL instant messaging, but I wouldn't really call that a social media platform as just a way to connect with or talk with your friends. And um, I didn't even get my first iPhone until I think college. And my dad made me pay for the phone bill myself because he said he wouldn't buy it for me unless I could afford the phone bill. And from there, it just took off. It escalated the texting and then when Facebook started to be a thing and then there was Instagram and Twitter and all of these apps and platforms just came at you so hard and it was incredibly difficult to keep up until you really got into it and then all of a sudden you become this professional social media user and oh my gosh I remember MySpace MySpace was what the original Facebook you know you had like your top eight you can put music on your page you could could you update statuses I cannot even remember I feel like it was so long ago but you could also, you know, download these like codes to change your like themes and backgrounds and you can leave comments on other people's pages. And 
I remember how you know important it was to be on someone's top eight. It's like you had this like boyfriend in middle school and high school, and if he wasn't your, your number one on the top eight, were you even really serious? Um, and that is, <laughs> I mean, looking back, it's really kind of comical that that is you know, what kind of catapulted us into this world, into this online community that started to basically suck your soul away from you. To me, the real problem started when Facebook expanded to users that weren't just in college and people would update their statuses being like I'm eating a donut or I'm doing this I'm doing that blah 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 and I feel like that is really when everything kind of started to go downhill I don't know how other people might have felt about checking their Facebook, but I know once I had one, I would constantly check to see if somebody liked my status or liked the picture I was posting. And I wanted people to see what I was up to. And then I also wanted to see what other people were up to, what my friends were up to. And I mean, not to sound terrible, but After I graduated high school and went to college and, you know, all those years passed, I wanted to see what the people I went to high school were up to because that's where they were posting their photos and their achievements and, you know, their Facebook statuses about their life. But in turn, I saw um, this like photo it was like a quote on Instagram recently that people don't post their failures and that's completely true we want to show people that we're doing okay we want to show people that we grew up to be successful and we want to flaunt our success on social media like haha I'm doing this and better than you and yada 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 and it's kind that's kind of at this point what it's turned into and so instagram where it is all about pictures and some of the pictures i mean probably most if not all of the pictures on instagram are just so fabulously put together because there's filters you can edit it you can make it look better than what the original photo is looking like. And that is one of the most fascinating things to me. I mean, I want to know how many photos people have to take before they find that one that they're like, oh, that's the one I'm going to put on Instagram. And then that's the one that I'm going to edit so I look way better than I actually do. I'm going to make the lighting great and you know, my skin look better with this filter and then post it and then hashtag it. And when I was in grad school, we had a conversation about the hashtag and how we were terrified that we will come to a point um, with future generations that 
they won't know that the hashtag is actually called the pound sign. That is, I mean, let's be honest, that's like kind of really scary. Because when I was growing up, it was the pound sign. When you call like the bank or anything that's automated, they say, enter your credit card number and then press the pound key once you're finished. And when my daughter is maybe in her 20s or 30s and she has to call an automated um, number and they say, please press the pound sign, is she going to know what they mean? Or are they going to change it to press the hashtag key? Then there's this feeling that we need to have a certain amount of followers or a certain amount of likes or a certain amount of friends um, to kind of feel good about ourselves. It's like you show somebody, you're like, oh my gosh, my Instagram photo got 324 likes. Or, you know, you're on Twitter and you're like, oh my gosh, Victoria's Secret retweeted me. And I'm only saying that because a couple years ago, Victoria's Secret did retweet me when the Victoria's Secret fashion show was going on. And of course, I have to share that story because I'm obviously addicted to social media. Okay, so I've covered some bases in regards to social media and how I am clearly one of the people that is addicted to it. So my husband, I don't know why, but he really loves reading comments on on Facebook, especially when the post is kind of controversial. And yesterday he told me that on the My Favorite Murder page, there was a, there's some kind of post, I can't remember the post was, and people got legitimately angry. Oh, I remember they had posted that there was a t-shirt coming out that had a, um, like a TP on it that was meant to signify camping and uh, Native Americans were posting on it like this is really kind of inappropriate, yada, yada. And I mean, I kind of agree with that. It is a little um, inappropriate. And then it was just firing squad of other comments. I guess he said that there were people on there that were like, you know, calm down you know, um, and then the hosts of the podcast came on and I guess apologized and people were like, that's, it's not your fault. And there were women that just could not seem to let it go. And when there is a controversial post, that is what seems to be happening on social media. This even happened to my friend where she made a status about um, the movie Crazy Rich Asians that is about to come out and how it was an all Asian cast and how she felt so proud that people of color were being represented in the media because there is this, you know, struggle that, you know, no black people won Oscars, blah, 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 until recently. And um, there were just comments after comments saying that like Asians weren't people of color. Um, It's like, you know, wrong that they didn't put other races in there. And it was just, it's shocking that strangers can get into such heated arguments on the internet, on Facebook. And I think it's because there's this sense of safety that comes from being behind a cell phone or being behind a computer screen. And at this point, 
it, it almost feels like it's, it can tear communities apart, just like the My Favorite Murder community. It's so big and it's so dedicated, but there's something there that can just easily rip apart that community and it all can happen and unravel on a social media platform. So where does that leave me? as a person that checks their phone all the time and wants to know how many likes my Instagram photo is getting or how many people are liking and commenting on my Facebook status. I mean, I have to be completely honest. While I was recording this, I did check my Instagram because I had just posted a photo right before I started recording. And that is an issue. So now as a mother... Um, I try to be more cognizant of the amount of time I spend on my phone, on my computer, checking social media because this directly affects her and her development and her behavior. And it's awful to think that when I pick her up from daycare and bring her home and I'm playing with her every so often I stop playing with her to check my phone and that's sad and so it's like I have to consciously be aware of how many times I'm checking my phone with I'm with her because my time with her should be uninterrupted and as best as possible you know Like going to swim lessons and not worrying about, you know, what text message I'm going to get or what my friends are going to tag me in and eating dinner with her without, you know, needing to pick up my phone or even watch TV, you know, and those are the kinds of things that I'm realizing affect her so greatly because it's my duty, it's my husband's duty to make sure that she's developing in a way that is going to be productive and a crucial, important, effective member of the community. And how can we properly teach her that when we are so engrossed in checking our phones and paying attention to what's going on on social media? And that's just been a part of our life for so long. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm 27 years old. It's over 10 years have I been, you know, checking my phone for things and then all of a sudden you have a kid and you have to abruptly stop you have to abruptly be more aware of the time you're spending on your phone to make sure that you're not spending that much time on your phone so your child can grow up knowing that electronics are not the most important thing it's the connections the conversations the relationships face-to-face that are really more important than sitting on a phone or sitting on an iPad or typing on a computer. Furthermore, I wonder what dating will look like when my daughter is my age. You know, right now there's all of these dating sites or dating apps like Tinder and um, what is that? Like Bagel Meets Bagel or something. And then there's Bumble and then there's all of these other weird stuff. And then there's also like the websites like match.com, farmersmeet.com. You know, it's, it's basically like, it's all not needing to go out and interact with people. You just swipe right or you swipe left or, you know, you super like somebody or super dislike somebody. I don't know if that's like a thing anymore, but 
I only say this because my husband and I met on Tinder. So is there going to be a point where meeting somebody in person is going to all all of a sudden become obsolete? How will my daughter meet her future husband? Will there be some sort of like hologram virtual reality where you go and meet people online? I only say that because there was a bit on the Hulu show Casual where that was like a thing. And I don't want that life for my daughter, but in actuality, in reality, it seems like that's what it's going to be. And it's going to be probably worse than what it is right now. But, you know, my husband told me that there could be that possibility where her generation rejects, you know, electronics and social media. But when parents and adults are so glued to their phones and not necessarily just checking Facebook, but like our emails are set up to it. We have notifications for um, like CNN reports or New York Times reports. Um, They see that. And there's this monkey see monkey do with children. And I saw, I follow um, on um, Instagram, people of New York, and there was a picture of a, a mother and a son on the subway, and they were both reading a book. And I guess the photographer had asked um, why the her son was not using a tablet. And she said um, that basically kids learn by example that, you know, if you don't put yourself in front of a screen, your child isn't going to put themselves in front of a, in front of a screen. And that made sense to me. So now looking at it with my daughter, as she's getting older, you know, she's going to be a year next month. I have a goal for myself to try even harder to put my phone away pick up a book and read to her or play with her and make sure she is developing in the way that she needs to be um, for your age. And I mean, even, I mean, they say that kids all develop, you know, differently and at their own pace and stuff, but I should be getting her to work towards where she should be, those milestones, instead of looking at Facebook and looking at Instagram, I don't want her to grow up thinking that spending that much time on social media is okay. Because even though I am, I would call myself addicted, it's not okay. At least I don't think it's okay. And it shouldn't be okay for myself. And it shouldn't be okay for my daughter, because I don't want to feel like it has control over my life and I don't want her to grow up thinking that it has control over her life. So at the end of the day, my goal is to turn it off, put it away, read a book and have that quality one-on-one having a conversation with a baby that can't talk back time with her. (laughs) 
All right, guys. So before I leave you, we're going to jump into the segment Mothers in the News, where I talk about one article that I found recently that just kind of talks about motherhood and what my opinion is on it. This week's article comes from the New York Times. It's written by author of the novel The Windfall, Diksha Basu. I'm terribly sorry if I completely mispronounced that, but the title is called Rebranding Motherhood, and it kind of talks about how, why having children is stigmatized as having to sacrifice a lot of things, like sacrifice our jobs, sacrifice our lives, um, and sacrifice ourselves, and this kind of um, stereotype that when you become a mother your self changes. And I I agree with that to some degree that ever since I've become a mom, I do believe um, a lot of things about myself have changed, but it doesn't necessarily mean my center, my core, my personality has changed. I'm still definitely kind of the same person that I was before I had my daughter. She also talks about how motherhood and becoming a parent is a choice, like any other choice that we make, like choosing a particular job or choosing what city to live in or deciding to get married. Um, And it's, you know, all of those choices we make in regards to life, motherhood excluded, we, we sacrifice certain things, you know, like me leaving my current job to pursue teaching, that's a choice. And it's my family and I are sacrificing a certain amount of income in order for me to make that choice. So it's like, why is motherhood made to sound so miserable when it's also, it's also a choice. And like she says, any choice you make comes with some level of sacrifice. The narrative of motherhood definitely needs to change, and she makes point of that. You have people telling you like, oh, you don't get paid maternity leave, you get no help with um, daycare and all of these things, and it's made to sound like becoming a parent is a struggle. And to be completely honest, sometimes it is a little bit of a struggle, but it's a struggle that I would not exchange for anything else and I don't think my husband would exchange for anything else you know you think of the sacrifices that you make but in turn the things that you get are that sweet sound of her laughing or that you know my daughter pants when she gets really excited that you know she picked up from her dog and she like will jump around in a circle when she's sitting when she gets super excited those are like the the things that we get in return for making those sacrifices and I don't really think that until you become a parent you can really understand that joy and how nothing else can measure or no other experience is like that experience like when I walk into the daycare and my daughter's screaming in excitement and those are the things that fill my heart and those are the things that we get you know even though we have to sacrifice other things and honestly I don't feel like I've really sacrificed much of anything being a mom is something that I want 
to do. It's what I want to be. And I know my husband, more than anything, wanted to be a father. So, I mean, I do sometimes feel I did have to sacrifice things. Like I sacrificed getting my PhD. I sacrificed writing a thesis. I sacrificed making um, a job or a career change when I wanted to. But at the end of the day, when I'm putting my daughter in her crib or when I'm feeding her dinner or I'm waking up to her smiling face, I realize I would never take anything back. I would never wish I didn't have her in my life. And those were sacrifices that I am totally okay making because having her trumps going on and getting my PhD. It trumps wanting to make the career choice and changes when I wanted to make them. It trumps completing a thesis. It trumps all of that. So I don't think any new mother should ever feel like it's a sacrifice or that they're going to lose yourself. So I completely agree with Diksha in this article that the branding of motherhood needs to change, that nobody should feel like they're giving up anything, like they're giving up themselves or that they're losing themselves. You need to see it as just another identifier of who you are. You know, you can say, I am a mixed race female age group 25 to 30 mother and married. It's just another box that you check off when you're filling out paperwork at the DMV. So thank you, Diksha, for writing this article for the New York Times and discussing how the narrative of parenthood definitely needs to change and that the narrative does need to be rebranded about motherhood. And that's also what I want to do here. I want to change the narrative of motherhood and parenthood. Um, I want to change the stigmas about it and I want to talk about things that a lot of people might be too afraid to talk about. If you have any questions or um, have any comments, feel free to email me at rhetoricalmom at gmail.com. That's R-H-E-T-O-R-I-C-A-L mom at gmail.com or visit my website www.rhetoricalmom.com. I'd love to hear from you and hear your feedback or your opinions. And I hope you guys come back next week where I talk about electronics. And that's kind of going to be an extension of kind of what I've talked about today on social media, but how um, the rise of electronics and the amount that we have at our fingertips has changed my life and is going to change my daughter's life. And I super apologize for not having an episode last week. My daughter was diagnosed with hand foot mouth disease and we went out of town for a wedding and then immediately after my husband left on a business trip so you can only imagine um working full-time on a changed schedule and having a sick daughter i did not have much time for literally anything but i will be back next week i pinky promise and as a woman i take that shit seriously